This is the Strength Anger Podcast, part of the Berserker Strength Radio Network, featuring APF Illinois State Chairman Eric Stone, as well as AAPF AWPC Powerlifter Robert Bain. We are coming at you from 2XL Powerlifting in Lombard, Illinois, and you can find this podcast online on anchor.fm. All right, Mr. Bain, here we are, number 25. Wow. 25 episodes in of the Strength and Anger podcast. Can't believe we made it. Yeah, that's uh, 25 weeks of us talking for an hour or more together. Did you ever think that when you and I first met, you would be spending this much time with the fucking weirdo from Waukegan? I have to admit, I don't think so, because I don't really remember 100%, <laughs> I don't really 100% remember meeting you. That's other fine. Than just that I knew you. Yep. So he, he was the guy with the two small singlet. Yeah, him. That's uh, that would be Peter Putzko. Yeah. Well, I was the one who had it on. Silly. So, any feedback from past weeks? Um, I haven't heard much from our last week's episode. There's been a couple things going on in the world. Yeah, you know, I normally get a lot of folks will reach out and say, "Hey, when's the next one dropping? What's going on?" Uh, yeah, there appears to be some distractions right now. Yeah, uh, but we have gotten a good response and a higher listen rate of our. Ask us anything or AUA episode. Yeah, so that, that, those last couple of questions were bullshit, but whatever. So we'll have to. Uh, we'll but, have to. Uh, by the way, the streak was broken. Oh, uh, I guess current affairs uh, kept you from watching the video. They did. I did watch it three times to make up for it. But it, oh, right, right. So you tripled up. Yes, exactly. for a missed day. <laughs> for those of you that don't know and haven't listened to past episodes, Bane watches his six ninety four squat yep. video every day. Yep. Just to remind myself that it's not seven hundred yet. Yep. Okay. So what is going on, Bane? I'm old. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. we were supposed to record on Monday, but we were. what we'll talk about next is some, some shit happened. Yeah. So we did not, unfortunately, shit. get to record on 316 Day, which is your birthday, Bane. It is my birthday. It is my birthday. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's really the big thing that was going on, you know, uh, uh, as far as me. Uh, I'm really not going to, as we talked about, you know, before we decided to record, I'm not going to focus on the, the main stuff. Everyone knows what's happening in the world right now. Like, that's, that's that. Uh, but, no, I, I got to celebrate uh, with my wife. You know, we went out to dinner. Uh, Nick wore a red dress that um, I, definitely some people at the restaurant we went to appreciated. Definitely some wives did not, and I was not upset by watching some of the reactions. <laughs> uh, it was pretty fun. Uh, funny story. We went to, went to Wildfire in Schaumburg. Yeah. And Nick and I were sitting on the tables on the floor, and there were booths that, you know, lined that uh, area around it. As Nick went up to go to the restaurant. Booths or booths? Booths. Oh, okay. Booths. Uh, so as Nick got up to go to the bathroom, she walked towards the table and then hung a left to head back towards the bathroom area. And, uh, a gentleman was having a conversation with his wife and a couple friend of theirs and stopped mid sentence. Like his mouth was wide open as Nick walked by and his wife actually slapped him uh, on the arm. The other gentleman that was sitting across from him actually turned around and looked at my wife and his wife hit him. And I got to watch all this whole interaction. I'm like, that's actually really fun. That was a really, uh, Fun birthday present that I got was to watch all these dudes basically huckle my wife as she walked by. So, uh, And then, yeah, yesterday, or Monday, I'm sorry, obviously, you know, most of America is on lockdown, so we spent it at my house and uh, basically had a couple of drinks with Nick and watched movies with the kids, and that was about it. So, uh, Stone, what's going on? Oh, my gosh. So we're recording this a couple of days later than we normally do because yep. just my world got thrown upside down on Monday. Yeah, it did. 
and I don't want to spend the entire episode talking about the hashtag coronavirus. Got to hit on it a little bit, though. But, it's affected uh, a lot of things. Yeah, but the Illinois State Meet, which we've been talking about for the last couple episodes is coming up, mm-hmm. uh, was projected to be our biggest meet of date. and yep. Sold out, 250. Right, and unfortunately has been postponed. Not canceled, just postponed yep. um, to a date TBD. Yep. Uh, I mean, who knows what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks, but it's projected to be sometime in late May is what we hope. Mm-hmm. But I did want to go through like a, a, a timeline real quickly of how quickly things have changed. Yeah, we're, we're not going to go like we did with the Arnold in that timeline. We're just going to just rapid fire this one. Yeah. So going back to last week, Tuesday, mm-hmm. uh, the meet was on and there was some coronavirus, you know, happenings, I guess, yeah. for lack of a better term. There's but, concern. Yeah, there's concern. But we said, hey. We're going to do the meet. If you're, if you're sick, stay home. That was basically the message. Yep. Fast forward to Thursday, uh, and that was March 10th. Now we're at March 12th. The state of Illinois cancels events of 1,000 or more, and they urged uh, promoters, organizers of events of 250 or more to postpone or cancel their events. Mm-hmm. This included churches. This included a yeah. ton of different things. Yeah, like definitely. It, was, it, it was not a mandate. It was just an urging yep. on... Friday, March 13th, mm-hmm. the meet was still on. We emailed out basically the CDC guidelines for cleanliness of washing your hands and not sharing things and a bunch of other stuff. Um, that's Friday. Yep. On March 15th, Sunday, this yep. week, uh, at the time of this recording, the meet is on. Because of that guideline of 250 or less, we mm-hmm. adjusted our schedule. We split Saturday into an AM and a PM session. Mm-hmm. It was going to be bench deadlift in the morning, full power starting at around noonish. We moved weigh-ins for Sunday lifters off-site. I actually uh, had a hotel conference room about two, three minutes down the road ready to be rented, um, and that was going to keep us each day below 250, probably well below that. Yep. Fast forward to uh, later that day, Mm -hmm. uh, the CDC now recommends, and again, the CDC is not a governmental I mean, they're, they're a related governmental entity, but they're not... They're not legislating. Yeah. They're not mandating anything. Correct. They're, they're just making recommendations. recommendations. Yep. So at that point, they now recommended the cancellation of events of 50 or more. And it was just a recommendation, and it did exclude businesses. And, th- and this is when you and I start texting each other. Yeah. And I said, at that point, I, I would like to run the meet. Um, Can I say what you actually said? No. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> no, it's fine. It, it, we were... You know, during our text conversation, I know you were legitimately worried because obviously you have a business to run. Your family depends on this business. And, you know, you wanted input from a variety of sources. Hey, what, what's yeah, the what prudent, do you, what what's do you the think? thing to do? Howard and I talked. You and I talked. My yep. wife and I talked. At this point, we were pretty resolute that we were going to run the meet. Because I think you were of the same mind I was that it was, hey, I think, like, people need this outlet. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. It's, it's, it's a crazy time right now. Yeah. And if I think if our meet had happened last weekend, we would have been able to get it in. Yep. So now, then, now let's just rewind a couple of days ago, Monday, 316. Happy birthday to me. Now the state of Illinois mandates mm-hmm. that there should be no events or gatherings or gym or even gyms being open. Yeah, thou shalt not gym. Right, with gatherings of 50 or more. Um, other states have completely closed gyms. Like they've just said gyms are closed, fitness centers yep. closed until further notice. They did not do that yet. Um, when that came down, it basically was we were at ground zero and there was nothing more we could do. Yep. We were forced by the state of Illinois to postpone the state meet. Yep. And um, as I said, I think the Michigan state meet happened last weekend. Mm-hmm. Other states have not been as restrictive in their um, 
their guidelines or recommendations. Yeah. I, I guess this was not a recommendation. This was a mandate. Yeah, this so, was like, this, this, this is going to happen. Right. Um, <clears throat> so at that point, we just had to make the decision to go ahead and postpone the meet. And I don't want to, again, like you said, Ben, we don't want to dwell on it too much. Uh, we're not going to know for, we're not going to have perspective on any of that's happening in the last week. And mm-hmm. this has literally just been in the last week. Yeah. Uh, we're not going to have any perspective on this for a while. So I'm going to postpone my comments on, you know, whether it was good, bad, or otherwise at this point. It just, at this point, it is what it is. You, and there, you know what? And there's nothing we can do about it. Yeah. Um, I, I was reading something. Because uh, obviously this is, is everywhere, right? Everywhere you look, you can't you can't not see something COVID nineteen or coronavirus, right? Yeah. And guy, he's he's, he's a doctor, and he was talking about and he, and he specialized in uh, diseases and viral control and that kind of thing. And so he was talking about you know he, he wasn't sure if we were all doing the right thing. He said, "Listen, at the end of the day, we're never going to know if we overreact and overreach on all this stuff." But sure. we sure as shit are going to know if we underreact. Sure, fair. And so I, I, that gave me some good perspective because I have my opinions on this whole thing. And I think that that, that gave me some of the warm and fuzzies. Uh, that, yeah, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, I've got friends who are, you know, immunocompromised. And the last thing I ever want to see is, uh, you know, because they're, they're, you know, my kids know them. Like, having to explain to my kids, like, yeah, we didn't take the right precautions and par- we're part of that problem. Sure. So, you know, is what it is, but uh, yeah. Let's 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 move on. We got some cool. On. We got some, I like this. this yeah, was... uh, we've we've talked enough about what is BS because yeah. basically the world is BS right now. You yeah, could argue. Is. Yeah, it is. So, Bane, what is great? You know what's been great, man, is just getting extra time with my family. Uh, they've gotten to they've gotten to see me work. You've been working from home. Yeah, I've been working from home since Friday, and but they've gotten to see me in action. Not just like meeting with my colleagues, but actually like. You know, still I'm still calling on clients, and so they see me deal with you know rejection, and uh, they my uh, kids actually uh, got to hear me get yelled at by a, a prospect because you know why why on earth would I be calling and talking about uh, you know software systems during a crisis like this? So they've gotten to see me kind of handle that and watch me adult, and and it's been really fun that they you know it's elicited a ton of conversation uh, with me and my children and. Uh, my wife has, you know, she's a group fitness instructor and personal trainer and Nick has, you know, her body has desperately needed rest, uh, cause she has been really pushing herself because, you know, we've got some financial goals that she's really been wanting to contribute to and not just, you know, letting it fall to me. And she's thankfully going to be getting paid by actually both of her jobs. We found out today, uh, both the Park Ridge Park district and the Chicago YMCA, uh, for at least the, the month of March. Uh, nice. as, as though she was teaching, so which is great. So that'll help us from a financial perspective. And she is getting much, much needed rest. She's literally a different person over the last seventy-two hours. Just not limping, um, you know, better mood, uh, other ancillary benefits that you know, as married men, we understand. So it's it's been good. Um, Eric, what's been great for you? So before all this turned to just craziness, Mm -hmm. um, I got to go to my son's school before all schools went on lockdown. Right. And I got to speak to a bunch of kids at his after-school program and him, Mm -hmm. basically about what I do. And I kind of turned it into, because I wanted to make it applicable to everybody, because, you know, I wanted to talk about the gym and Mm -hmm. what I do and powerlifting and, you know, Jacob being involved in our autism fundraiser and some of the things that we do here that I think are great, but... I really kind of turned it into a discussion of, hey, how did I come to this career Mm -hmm. and how might you come to a potential career? And I I kind of had a three-point approach with the kids. And these were mostly fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh graders. 
Um, so kids that are maybe a little young on career, but at least they can start thinking about sure, things. Sure. Um, and so the, the three determinations I had for them is what's something you like, mm-hmm. what's something you're good at, mm-hmm. and what's something that someone is willing to pay you for. Makes and sense. So if you can't fulfill all three of those, then you can't make a career out of it. Now, you could make a career out of something you don't like. Um, it's probably harder to make a career out of something that you're not good at. It but, is a challenge. <laughs> but you can make a career out of something you don't like, but you could argue, hey, you at least if you like most of what you do, yeah. um, even if it's not your passion. Um, but if someone's not willing to pay you for it, even if you, you know, really like it, even if you're really good at it, yeah. it, it can't make a career out of that. So it was cool to talk to them. Um, got some cool pictures that I got to post on social media. Yes. And, you know, it was something positive like this segment for this week at least. Yeah. I think we'll keep this for a few weeks. Yeah, I think it's going to be needed. Instead of the what is bullshit, yeah. um, we'll, we'll hit something positive, what is great. So that was, that was cool. Jacob enjoyed it. Good. Um, and uh, I think uh, the kids enjoyed it as well. I'll tell you, man, I, I commented on the, one of the pictures where there was a picture of Jacob looking at you as you're presenting the class. You're, you're looking out to the class, and Jacob's and just As a dad, there is nothing better than seeing that look of pride and excitement on your kids' face when either you're in your element or they're watching you interact with their peers, and they – it's just so cool, man. Like there, there's a, a certain look that a parent may give their child as they're watching them engage in activity that they are good at or skilled at. But there's just something really awesome about watching your kid watch you. And, and somebody, whoever took the, that picture, captured Jacob's face right at that moment. And it was beautiful, man. I, I really, really enjoyed that. So thank you for posting those. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, some positive news in a, in a non-positive time right now. Yeah, yeah. Very, very true. All right, Bane, on to our Pulsa throwback. Throwback. I've, I pulled a good one today, Bane. Again, this was another random poll mm-hmm. um, up, up until last Randos. week. Up until last week, I hadn't, you know, I'd just been totally random. Mm-hmm. Um, last week, we chose a specific one because it was the Super D 3K yes. issue. Very important, very timely, I believe. So we've got a good one this week. Uh, this is the issue from July 2006. Okay. On the cover is a lifter I don't think we've talked about much, but is if you look him up as far as coefficient, as, mm-hmm. as far as... All-time world record totals. He's right up there, and that's Sean Frankel. I've heard the name. From Big Iron Gym. Yeah. He still will show up at meets. He's, he has a gym in Iowa mm-hmm. after powerlifting. And, and for those of you that don't know, Big Iron Gym was a very you know, impactful gym for a short amount of time, unfortunately, mm-hmm. run by Rick Hussey. Uh, strongest total by a female ever was Becca Swanson. That was his significant other for a time. Yep. Rick Hussey ran the gym. Um, you had Sean Frankel come out of there. You had Justin Grouths, you had uh, Jim Grandick, who at one point he told me had like a streak of like 10, 12 years of squatting 1,000 pounds in a meat straight. Um, and this was kind of at the peak of Big Iron. Um, you had Sean Frankel, who at 2006, APF Senior Nationals in Vegas, which mm-hmm. was kind of the peak of the APF of that era, mm-hmm. and it kind of jumped off a cliff after this meet, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, some big numbers. Frankel hit... 937, 705, 715 for a 2353 total at 220. That's in that's unbelievable. And won the I think lightweight middleweight best lifter. Mm-hmm. Um, on the female side, you had Carol Bohegan, who is again someone we haven't really talked about, but at the time was and she didn't have a long run, and 
I think she had some injuries because I saw her with a knee brace in later years, and mm-hmm. she became more of a bench specialist. But this might have been one of her peak meets at 148 as a female. Now, this is all, is all equipped, but as a female, 148. So cheating, obviously. Yeah, obviously cheating, totally. 501 squat, 407 bench, 451 deadlift, a 1361 total at 148, winning the best lifter at APF Seniors. Awesome. Um, another you know notable performance. We talked about him a couple weeks ago uh, when we talked about 05 seniors, mm-hmm. which I was at, and got beat by one Nick Hatch, mm-hmm. who at this meet squatted 837, benched 540, deadlifted 551, a 19.29 total at 165. That is just... And at the time, he was maybe 20. <sighs> wow. Uh, unfortunately, he was kind of a, a flash in the pan. I don't mean that as a total negative. I mean, he just... He had a... He had a a there's number some lifters of lifters that are just right here like that. He had a number of years where he's really strong and just did not stick with the sport very long. Mm-hmm. Um, another big iron lifter um, and uh, notable lifter who didn't necessarily have an incredible performance, but only because it's you know the man of behind the slingshot yeah. and behind there he is. You know, uh, you know how much you bench that net. <laughs> Mark Bell, Mark Smelly Bell, Mark Smelly Bell with an eight forty three. Squat, 705 bench, and a 666 deadlift, a 2215 total. Which at, is a solid, solid total, by the at way. At 275, good enough for eighth place at APF Senior Nationals. That, that tells you the difference in when, when you know people talk about what, what is powerlifting need. A bringing together of the federations, when that kind of total, I would say generally speaking, is going to win you most meets especially local meets, but even national meets now, uh, and that's good enough for eighth place. Yeah, this I mean, this was a meet, uh, APF Seniors in 06 in Vegas. I mean, there was weight classes. And, it, again, for those of you that haven't maybe listened to past episodes, it's called Senior Nationals because at the beginning of weightlifting, and that's kind of where some of this verbiage comes from, mm-hmm. there was Senior Nationals, which was the top-level national meet for mm-hmm what we would now call the open division lifters, and there was junior nationals, not junior like the age division, but no. junior as in the lower tier, you know, the secondary tier national meet. So seniors was the top-level national meet. This and was it, the minor leagues and the major leagues. Sure, and it was senior nationals was only equipped because mm-hmm. that's all there was. There might have been raw at that point, but I don't know that we had it at a national level, but it was all multiply, all equipped, all open, mm-hmm. and that was it. It was just weight classes. That's all there was and, at this meet. And no testing. Yeah, there was definitely no drug testing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you had weight classes in that meet that were 30 deep. You know, you had two full flights for one weight class. That's crazy. That's just, that's wild. You also had Matt Smith, who I believe is a West Side lifter. I'm not 100% certain on that, but I'm 77% certain. Okay. And he... R- rough math. Yeah. He squatted 1140, benched 727, deadlifted 804 at super heavyweight, good enough for... The heavyweight best lifter of How the meet. How can he be a Westside lifter when his deadlift is more than his bench? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Most of the time, it's the opposite. <laughs> so this was truly like the West Side versus because Mark Bell is a at the time was kind of a quasi West Side guy. Yep, um, definitely followed the West Side method. So you, this really was kind of the the you West know Side versus the world. West Side versus uh, Big Iron, like they talked about in West Side versus the World. Yeah, um, you had an article in uh, this <laughs> issue called the Lightened Method. As far as I can tell, this is the first time that I can remember Louie talking about reverse bands, um, and that's you know kind of what he laid out in this 
article, mm-hmm. uh, you know, talking about, you know, doing reverse bands on squats. And he basically said he could do reverse bands on anything. He said, you know, use your imagination. You could overload the tricep and do reverse bands on jam press. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you that don't know, a jam press is kind of like a cross between a skull crusher and a close grip bench. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, and it's, it, again, interesting that this issue talks about big iron and west side mm-hmm. lifters because big iron was huge. I mean, that was reverse bands were a staple of their training protocol and they did heavy reverse band work. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one of their kind of staples. I think they probably did more reverse band work than anybody. Wow. And they hooked it up a little bit differently than other people do. You know, they would choke it on the monolift and then they would put heavier bands more to the outside of the bar versus kind of how we do it was as a direct line. Mm-hmm. Um, when you choked it more at an angle to the side, you got a pretty good deload at the bottom, but it was negligible at the top. Mm. Um, and they were all about handling really, really heavy weight. Their methods were closer to the Franz method, I would say. Not the same, because right. we definitely didn't do reverse pans at Franz. No. But they had more of that, you know, practice your, your big three in full gear type of training versus the, you know, west side specialty bar, mm-hmm. lots of bands change, dynamic effort, max effort work. Speed day, max effort day. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> we had uh, Jim Wendler, former West Side guy, yeah. who at that time was writing for Elite FTS, worked okay. for them, had one of his force training articles uh, called Conditioning for Powerlifters. And pretty interesting stuff. I mean, basically talk about, hey, what's some things you can do to get your heart rate up and not affect your lifting? <laughs> Talked about, you know, walking on the treadmill, mm-hmm. walking on the treadmill with a weight vest, um, bicycle work outside, sled drags, prowler, med ball work and basically uh med ball was like get a heavy med ball Mm -hmm. throw it in some way go outside into a field throw the med ball in some way walk pick it up throw it again yep so uh, some some interesting stuff as far as just you know getting the heart rate up without having to you know run run for fun you gross um this was an interesting one we had uh meet results from the new england record breakers which (laughs) as far as i can remember this was one of the first you know, and it was always abbreviated NERB, which was weird, but, hmm. you know, the New England Record Breakers, <laughs> N-E-R-B. But this was one of the first big raw meets that I can remember being a thing. This For a while, there was a meet called RUM, the Raw Unity meet, which ran for three, four, five years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the end, that, that kind of split into, like, you know, wraps with a monolift versus no wraps and walked out, and that's when it kind of died out. Right. Um, I'm pretty sure i guess i could check but i'm pretty sure this was uh this was walked out from what it looked like but this is one of the first big raw meets um i believe one of the best lifters was scott smith who did 770 565 and 750 this is all raw a 2085 total at 275 um interestingly you had brian siders which they said in the article had just totaled a decent amount equipped and had done this meet, you know, just a couple of weeks later. Um, one of our, our main guys, we had Dottie Thompson, who... Super D. Super D. I, I saw him dropping a, an article today, or not an article, a, a video, mm-hmm. where he has the new 110-pound Super D roller. Mm-hmm. Um, he did this meet raw after, you know, 
mostly being an equipped guy for wow. most of his career. Wow. Um, and I believe this was before the 3,000-pound total, correct? Because last week we talked about yeah, like a 2011 or something. Something like that, yeah. It was later, definitely. I'm sure he was very tempered at this point. Yeah, well, I don't think there was any tempering back in, 0- in 0- 06. Oh, he had to be experimenting at some point. Like, Yeah. So he did 805, 565, 800 raw. That's crazy. 2170 at super heavyweight. And this is a guy that mostly, almost exclusively trained equipped. And he got criticized because... You know, he took so much off his total, but it's like, I mean, that's, for this meet, it was the number two total, um, you know, and at that time, it was always the thing of like, why don't those geared lifters peel off their gear and see if they can do raw? It's like, oh, okay, there you go. well, Donnie did it. And yeah. I don't know, like, is there some like morality about getting a lot out of your gear? Like, I mean, he still showed that he's a... I mean, 800 deadlifts and 800 deadlifts. That's strong. Well, at the end of the day, the gear is really doing all the lifting. I mean, that's the problem. You know, it's it's absolutely cheating. It's totally immoral. You see, these people are the worst human beings on the planet. Right, exactly. Every equipped lifter is like, you should know that. There's a, you know, there's a, a moral skewing to be an equipped lifter. Uh, so, obviously, they're terrible. The USAPL said so. And this is interesting. Brian Sider. So, we've talked about a couple of times he was a big USAPL lifter. Mm-hmm. In this meet, he went 785. 605. Now that's a big raw that bench. That is a huge raw bench. After huge. after squatting 785, huge. deadlifted 810, a 2200 raw total. And this is, let's see if I could find it. Yes, two weeks after he had totaled 2577 at the Quest American Open. That so, is a strong dude. Right I mean, there. that's 377 pounds off his equipped total, which he typically at that time was a single ply lifter. Mm-hmm. I think he only did single ply. Um, but I, I thought interesting that, you know, you saw a guy like that literally two weeks later. Cause so you could argue he probably wasn't optimized. Uh, not at all. No way for raw. I mean, you know, for anybody that's done gear lifting, when you take it off, you know, you, your body, you, you still have the strength, but you have to work your bottom end strength more. Yep. This could take some time for your body to get back used to just that, that feeling of yeah. not having the support at the bottom. Yeah, for sure. You had some big raw benches in this meet. You had big Nick winners, a mm-hmm. 650 bench. You had Jeremy Hungstra with a 605 raw bench, and you had Mike Wolf, who was an over 800 pound equipped bencher, bench 600 raw. Wow. And he was supposed to lift in our pressing the pieces together meet this year. Unfortunately, has had to drop out once again. Last year it was a heart issue, this year's a knee issue. So I said, well, one of these years we're going to get you to lift in our yeah, meet, Mike. Yes. Yes. Can you just put yourself on ice until next year? That would be great, Mike. The top. 100, 275 lifters. My people. Yeah, so we've got, at the top of the squat, we've got some some big names. We've got Chuck Volgapol, yeah. 1118. Jeez. You've got, of Spud Inc. fame, Mark Bartley, 1107. Um, you've got Charles Bailey, a big guy from the South, 1080. You've got Owen Basin, uh, 1041. You've got Jim Grandick from Big Iron, 1019. I'm not sure who... Some of these other lifters are. You do have a, a well-known guy now, Matt Wenning, with a 950 yeah. squat at that time. He went on to squat much more than that. Uh, on the bench, you've got Bill Crawford of Metal Militia fame yeah. with an 845 bench. You've got uh, Stafford. Uh, I believe he's a West Side guy, right? I can't think of his first name. Jay Stafford. Is it Jason? Jason Stafford, maybe. 832 deadlift. Wow. And then the total goes to our man, Chuck Volgapol. Chuck B. 2562 and tied with him is of Spud Inc. fame, Mark Bartley, 2562. And that was at the same meet. 
three wow. four or at least the same day. Maybe it wasn't the same meet, but three four oh six. And also Jim Grandick, three four oh six. It'd be interesting to go back and see what meet that was. Yeah, that, they, that had to be the same meet. Yeah, wow. I mean three I mean you got three twenty five hundred pound totals in one meet. Wow. Um Jim Grandick, twenty five forty. So some big freaking lifters in this two seventy five year. Th- think about this, like when you you total twenty five forty, and that's going to win you most meets, and you basically come in third. Right? Yeah. Wow. That's just that's wild. It's crazy. So that's our pulsa throwback yes. for the week. Yes. So let's ride back uh, a couple of weeks now, Bane, yep. to when the world seemed a little simpler, and we were, you know, talking about the hashtag Corona Classic. When all we're doing is drinking Coronas. Right. When we weren't maybe quite as worried about Corona. Yeah. Um, COVID. Let, let's talk about the WPO semifinals, the meet itself. Last week, yeah. kind of in-depth, we went through the timeline, so we don't need mm-hmm. to go through that again. You can find it in the archives. Listen to our archives. Please leave us a review. I mean, you know, when you think about it, when everyone's quarantined at home, you've now got 25 episodes. You've got mm-hmm. at least 25-plus hours of content. I would say we're probably easily up to 30 or 35 at this point. Yeah, because we've got some two-hour episodes, like some solid two-hour episodes. Right. So if you're looking for some content, you can go back to some of our old episodes. Here, here's one thing I would say on that, and not that I'm pushing everybody to listen to all our episodes, but uh, just because you may not recognize the title of something, mm-hmm. um, I think sometimes the content within you know, isn't adequately expressed through the title of something. Oh, Yeah. It you know, we definitely we, is not. We go through a lot of the history. Um, I, I think some of these powerlifting USAers throwbacks are interesting just to look back at the sport, yeah. you know, 10, 15, 20 years. Um, so, you know, look back at some of those old episodes you haven't listened to, maybe because the, the topic name that I put out there didn't appeal to you immediately. There might be some nuggets that you, you find entertaining. That's why we do those uh, those segments, especially the powerlifting USA. You know, I, I got excited about us doing that because, you know, one of the things that I I'll be honest, one of the things that scares me the most about powerlifting is we are at a time when there's a generation of powerlifters who are, are leaving the sport. They've been doing it for, you know, 30 years, 40 years. And you know, hey, you know, they're, they're, their time's up, right? And they're walking away from the sport. And they're walking away because we just didn't have the collection of knowledge uh, like we do with so many things today with technology and the connection of the Internet and that kind of thing. And so there's this this deep, rich history of powerlifting that potentially is going to be lost if we don't, uh, you know, continue to connect with these individuals or find things like Powerlifting USA, uh, Michael Sung's uh, list. And, and that's one of the things that I was, you know, very passionate about when we first started Strength and Anger was I wanted to get that history out there so that, you know, we can get some of these young cats who are, you know, in their early 20s and... You know, they like to lift, but hey, maybe they got a little history thing too. And so uh, we can continue the uh, the legacy of some of these lifters. Like, cause I'll be honest, there's going to be a guy like Nick Hatch, when you can total, I don't know what the exact math on that is, but that's a, a 12 times body weight total. I mean, th- there's some knowledge there that at some point somebody would want to grab, right? right. Yeah. And, so, it, and it's somebody that I don't hear anybody talking about. And he was maybe a flash in the pan, but at the same time, I mean, he had some huge totals at 165 that, yeah. that if somebody told that now, they would be, you know, Called unbelievable, right? Exactly. And he so. was at that time. He was unbelievable. He was an unbelievable lifter just yeah. a, just for a short amount of time. Um, so yeah, go back and list some of those past episodes. Leave us reviews, five stars, please. <laughs> <laughs> so the WPO going going back a little bit, rewinding um, in two thousand five. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I was at the Arnold Classic and got engaged to my wife. That was her birthday present to me. And uh, while we were at the Arnold Classic, I proposed and we got engaged. Did you do it by the statue? Uh, no, nothing. That, that would have been a good idea. I didn't, I don't even know that the statue was there back then, to be perfectly honest with you. Okay. I don't, I don't remember it because in the time I told you when we went to the Arnold and the time that I had been there the last time to this time, I think they'd completely redone oh, that the convention Echo center. center. Yeah. yeah. It looked completely different. I don't really remember it that much specifically the last time, but I, it was definitely different. Um, when I went to the Arnold Classic 15 years ago, once you walked into registration, there was kind of a long hallway, and the mm-hmm. first ballroom you came to was the biggest ballroom kind of outside of the Expo Center, and that's where the WPO was. It mm-hmm. was a ballroom at least, we'll say reasonably three to four times as big as the room we had for the XPC WPO. Oh, wow. And that's not to say that room was tiny, but it wasn't. No, not at all. It wasn't huge, but this, this was a large ballroom. I mean, there was... Not huge. There was easily, you know, a couple thousand people watching the WPO at any given time. That's awesome. Um, we'll get there. It was a it was a huge production. That's one thing that struck me back in those days when I went and watched it was that what a good job at that time, you know, especially before the era when, you know, you could just go on Amazon and find any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, lights and stage and music blaring, um, Kieran Kidd at that time did a really good job with the the show element of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the WPO Super Finals as part of the Arnold Classic back then. So that was... That was basically the the Super Bowl at that point. It was associated with the Arnold Classic. Right. Um, the semifinals back in that time was usually in the fall, mm-hmm. either co-opted with the WPC Worlds, or if the WPC Worlds were out of country, we would usually run, and this was not a long time, it was maybe 01 to 06, so we've only got a four, five, six-year run of even doing this, mm-hmm. but for those few years, the semifinals were you know, a standalone event um, I remember one year it was supposed to be part of an expo, and the expo got canceled. Nothing like this time, but <laughs> they moved the semifinals. COVID-12. COVID yeah, I remember they just moved the semifinals to um, a random hotel in Chicago. Um, and I believe at that time you could either qualify at the U.S. semifinals or at the WPC Worlds, and they would take the best lifters to the superfinals. Gotcha. There's a little bit different format back then. Um, depending on the year, Karen either had – three weight classes it was lightweight middleweight heavyweight or there was a time where it was lightweight middleweight heavyweight and super heavyweight Mm. and it was not via coefficient it was just within that super weight class that's kind of where the super finals came from within that super weight class it was top amount lifted gotcha so it was a little bit different format and basically you were incentivized to be you know i think lightweight either went up to 165 or 181, depending on the year. Mm-hmm. Middleweight went up to either 220 or 242, depending on the year. Uh, heavyweight probably went up to, again, all the way up to super heavyweight mm-hmm. or up to 275. Mm-hmm. And then super heavyweight was always you know, unlimited. Yeah. So you were incentivized to maximize within that super open weight class. So you would have a bunch of guys at APF Seniors packed into whatever the top level of the WPO Super Finals mm. weight class was. Right. Which was, it's an interesting dynamic compared to what they do now with, you know, a pure coefficient method. Mm. Um, interesting. And so that was kind of the WPO back in the 05, 06 era. And then around that time, unfortunately, you know, that would be a time when they got kicked out. And that's a story which if we could ever get my guy, Karen Kidder, 
I would like to hear. Get, get him off the lake in this. Yeah, you know, I did mic. send him a message at one point. I think he would be open to talking about it. Um, Kieran is, he was the owner of the original WPO. He's the current owner, CEO of the World Powerlifting Congress, WPC, mm-hmm. which he bought from Ernie Franz in order to align it with the WPO, essentially. Right. And he's kind of taken a step back. He's not really super involved anymore. I mean, he's still the owner. He still gives his input as part of the APF board, but, you know, nothing like it was back in these days. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> the XPC started uh, at some point after the WPO got kicked out. At that time, the USAPL came in and took the spot of the WPO. Mm-hmm. And the XPC essentially started as, well, we're just going to run a meet somewhere else on the weekend of the Arnold. Right. And it was not at the Arnold. It wasn't even associated with the Arnold. And eventually became part of the Arnold. And mm-hmm. I think before they, they redid the Expo Center, the XPC was at, you know, like... They were vet- like a horse barn or something. Like yeah, some it, was, it, was like vet- oh, it was like Veterans Hall. I think it was the same spot at that time where they did the bodybuilding show. It was just maybe in a ballroom kind of, you know, off offshoot from there. So it wasn't the same convention center. Yeah, like I, it is I just now. it was off-site and it smelled weird. Yeah, it was definitely off-site. Um, at that time, the XPC, uh, the best way I could you know, describe it is kind of like it's from a church. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like a non-denominational. <laughs> it was a non-federation federation where, you know, Danny Dague of Lexon, you know, basically took totals from anybody, which he, I think he did for this year as well. He did. But, uh, you know, the XPC was kind of seen as, you know, the non-federation federation. At one point, he was affiliated with... Uh, Revolution Powerlifting Syndicate, RPS. Green Platers. Run by uh, Gene Rychek, who, ironically, when he started, he said, was also not a federation. And RPS just happened to have the same letters as Rychek Power Systems, his training company. Oh, look at that. Revolution Powerlifting Syndicate just happened to have the same letters. And it was definitely Syndicate. not a federation. Kind of like powerlifting cabal. They're going to take down everybody. Yeah, I guess. He didn't, you know, he would always talk about how he didn't have federation dues, but, you know, his... And, and RPS is still running. Gene has died. God rest his soul. He was a, a great lifter, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying any of this to denigrate him, um, but RPS had higher entry fees. I think instead of charging a membership fee, they just charged $115 for their meets. Mm. And to be fair, um, you know, in the Northeast where they're real, you know, heavy, they mostly had sold-out meets and, you know, were well-attended, and for a while, the XPC was... So those neon green plates, man. Everybody loves them. I don't get the green that the aesthetic of that <laughs> doesn't work for me at all. Yeah. I mean, I will get the fact that they are very thematic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, you know, they definitely match, and they've got a, they've got a great, you know, lighting grid and yeah. banners. You know, oh, they, yeah. they definitely put a lot of effort and thought into it. I just, it's not my thing. Yeah, d- different production value. Yeah. Um, at one point, the XPC was kind of quasi-affiliated with the RPS. In fact, I think for maybe one or two years, the only way to qualify for the Arnold was through RPS meets. Yeah, I seem to remember hearing about that. And Danny was running RPS meets. And I, and again, the, the thought when Gene started the RPS was that it was definitely not a federation. It was its own entity. Right. But yet, you know, others were running meets, and others still run meets under the RPS banner. Right. Um, at some point, that... At least I remember that the last year or two, that was definitely gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and XPC was more independent again. When the WPO finals came back in 2018, mm-hmm. you know, I think it was kind of a wait-and-see approach. And then For when, a lot of people, yeah. When, last year, when it was on ESPN3 and it seemed to have some legs to it, that's when more people took notice. Mm-hmm. And I think that was when 
you know, there started to be some dialogue between Danny Dagg of Lexan and Wayne Pullum of the WPO about, you know, how could we possibly bring the WPO back to the Arnold? Yeah. Which is why I give the context of that history of, like, you know, how the WPO... Why, why the hell were we even in Columbus? <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, why would the WPO even want to be... We'll talk about that later, you know. Yep. It, is it a good idea for the WPO to be part of the Arnold or not? I mean, there's pluses to minus, definitely. Yep. Um, the XPC was originally supposed to be like the replacement of the WPO. So it kind of makes sense that years later that, uh, you know, we kind of come full circle with that. Um, through the years, the XPC eventually added, you know, a, a classic mm-hmm. or a, you know, raw with wraps division to Ew. their meat. They started off as just multiply like the WPO, mm-hmm. but they added that raw with wraps. And at that time they said, hey, we're different than, you know, the USAPL, which runs a totally raw meat and a single ply equipped meat, you know, they're kind of the extreme multiply and the classic raw. Yeah. Um, through the last couple of years, the oh, XPC. I see what they did. Extreme powerlifting classic. I see what they did there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the XPC has had, you know, lower multiply numbers, especially last year. I noticed there was just not a lot of geared lifters at their meet, which is true of a lot of meets, not just the XPC. Yeah, that, that's just across the board. Right that now. was across the board at, you know, many meets. Um, and so that's kind of when the dialogue happened after the WPO last year of, you know, how can we maybe bring the WPO back? And there became a discussion between Wayne Pullum and Danny Daig about, you know, making the WPO part of the Arnold. Um, the XPC for a while was a three-day meet. In order to accommodate the WPO, it became a two-day meet. Mm-hmm. And the entirety of the XPC-WPO became four days. Right. So the WPO would be the first two days, the Thursday, Friday. Mm-hmm. The XPC would be Saturday, Sunday. Um, you know, it essentially added up to the XPC setting up their equipment about a day earlier. Um, and, you know, they handled, Lexan handled all the equipment and all the setup. We, as the WPO, you know, basically came in and added a couple extra things. We had kilo plates from a sponsor, Vulcan Strength, mm-hmm. because, you know, as a international meet, we had to run it in kilos. Yep. Uh, the XPC had typically run their meets in pounds, and we also used my and Howard's uh, computerized light system. Um, And the thought why I originally brought it, which we'll talk about later, was that ESPN was probably going to be originally be part of this, and they liked the digital lights because they could... They just plug right into that. They just plug right in, and they'd put it in their ESPN feed. Right. As part of that, XPC... uh, the XPC was really supposed to become the Extreme Powerlifting Classic mm-hmm. instead of Extreme Powerlifting Coalition, which is, you know, a quasi-federation, even though it's not a federation. And it became an APF-sanctioned meet. And that was part of the deal, is that the APF-WPC essentially is the gateway to the WPO. And so, yep. you know, if Lexan and the XPC wants to be a part of that, they need to run their meets APF. Correct. It's going to leave that one there. Okay, yeah, let's let's move on. Yeah. So let's talk about ESPN because this was uh, kind of a big deal. Um, Th- this part was a huge deal, actually, yes. Um, once you dive into the uh, you know, and it, Yeah, I mean, ESPN was at uh, the Super Finals in Chicago here in October. Um, I think a lot of people didn't believe it was going to happen until it actually happened. I mean, Wayne... No, until they, till they saw the truck out there. No yeah, one I mean, it. Wayne said it. You know, he talked about it. There had been rumors of it. Um, I don't think anyone really truly believed it until they saw it on the ESPN3 app yep. or on the website. And so they were a part of the Super Finals, and they, you know, they had said on the broadcast, we'll see you back in March. In Columbus, yep. March in Columbus for the semifinals. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Martucci, the announcer, mm-hmm. went along with Johnny Thompson, said, you know, we'll see you back for the semifinals. Um, so they were supposed to be there. Correct. Um, let me be clear that ESPN was on board. They liked the WPO. Yeah, they were 100% in. And they had planned on being at the Arnold Classic. Um, according to Wayne, I don't want to go into private communication that Wayne and I have had, but I, I mean, I think I can say what I've, what I've written down here is that, yep. you know, there had been contact between ESPN and I don't know if it's the Arnold Classic or the Convention Center people. One of those two or both. All, all of them. Sure. And, you know, the contact had been made, and essentially, uh, it seems to me like at some point it became a game of telephone. I don't know if anyone played that in elementary <laughs> school where it's like, you know, I remember a teacher in like third or fourth grade doing it, like where, you know, one person starts off with something saying like, you know, Bane has a red sweatshirt on. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, after 30 kids, it is, you know, uh, Eric had... Coronate my baby, basically. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's something completely different at the end. Right. So, you know, you've got this line of communication from the Arnold Classic organizers to the convention center people mm-hmm. to Lexan Extreme mm-hmm. slash Danny Dague, Correct. who technically had the space at the Arnold Classic, mm-hmm. to the WPO and Wayne Pullum, which also includes Michael Fahey, who's included in, in part of that, you know, connection to ESPN, and then down to ESPN. So you've got like four, five, six layers of individuals talking back and forth. And eventually, you know, Wayne just said, hey, let me connect you guys directly, and then you can get back with me on, you know, what we need to do. Like, you know, you guys figured out. You let me know if there's any fees or there's any logistics. Mm-hmm. We want ESPN to live broadcast the WPO. Yep. And there have been a couple thoughts. I mean, there was thought that maybe the ESPN might not live broadcast this one. They might, you know, tape it and then, you know, replay it right. and, and cut it up into maybe, you know, a full broadcast and maybe put it on, maybe even put it on TV at a certain point and maybe a, a shorter format. There have been some talks about that. Right. Um, but when they finally connected, uh, ESPN <laughs> said, you know, here's kind of what we need. And according to some of the WPO officials, I mean, ESPN has been at the Columbus Convention Center and has broadcast, mm-hmm. you know, UFC fights. and From, from that exact venue. Right, from that, that exact venue. venue. And, and, and the convention center is huge, and we were yeah. in a specific ballroom. Huge. Um, but, you know, they said, hey, you know, uh, here's three or four different options of way we think we can yep. work this. Different configurations right. and setups. Could we do this? And... Could we do this? Could we do this? Yeah. And basically, every scenario they came up with the convention center people the other class people said no that doesn't work and it was like hard pass too like not a chance yeah it was like no we can't work with any of those and the only thing that they offered was some kind of retrofitting of the room which the xpc was in which the the price tag on was extremely high it was like absorbently high unbelievable what they were asking for it wasn't just that room it was that entire wing that they wanted it done for sure and I don't know if the convention center people thought, well, with ESPN here that... Doing lifter math, right? Like, <laughs> Right, yeah. There's there's some extra dollars at play here that, that wasn't really the case. Yeah. Um, I can tell you that when, when I originally heard this story, I thought that the XPC room was like maybe in the middle of the building. Mm-hmm. But in, in actuality, the, the ballroom that we were in was literally like next to the road. Yeah. And now the issue, I think, was that the XPC room... The WPO room was on the opposite side of the building from the loading docks. Yes. And in order to get to the loading docks, you would have had to go through or around the expo center. 
which is an enormous, I mean, enormous, huge, like, a huge space. I mean, this thing can host basketball games, can host you know concerts, UFC fights, like can right. seat you know ten, twelve thousand people if need be. And so, if you've got to run wires to an ESPN truck from, yeah. say, the loading dock, that probably logistically doesn't work too well. But Correct. you know, could you know someone theoretically park a truck on a sidewalk? Well. I guess technically, per the letter of the law, no. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was maybe one of the offers they made. I don't know. I was. I certainly wasn't in on those discussions. Yeah. But I can tell you that. Yeah. Technically, you're not supposed to park a truck on the sidewalk. Um, <laughs> but I can tell you that there was news trucks parked on all kinds of sidewalks. Oh yeah. Covering the fact that the Arnold Classic had been canceled or the Expo had canceled and events were still going on. Um, but the, the long and short of it is, ESPN was not at the WPO semifinals. Yeah, that was disappointing. Uh, you know, definitely frustrating, I think, for a lot of people. And, and the biggest reason to me it was frustrating. Like, it, at the end of the day, if it's on ESPN, if it's on WGN, it, whatever, it, it is what it is. But to me, like, you know, one of the things that I love about the WPO being on ESPN is it continues to get out to the masses. I was interviewed by uh, Columbus's NBC affiliate uh, while we were in line waiting for Jen get, uh, to get weighed in. And they asked, you know, was I disappointed that there's no crowd? I said, yeah, like, not because, you know, I need it or the lifters need it per se. I mean, these people have been doing this for a while. They, they live for them, generally speaking. But, you know, what I love is I love to be able to share this sport and this passion that I have for strength uh, with, you know, the civilians, basically, people that aren't necessarily as involved with the life. Maybe they, you know, train at a next sport or maybe they don't train at all and they're just like, oh, hey, I'm going to go see the freak show at the Arnold Classic. And they walk by and say, wow, look at this, you know, insanity that is, that is the WPO and these massive numbers. That was disappointing to me. And so same thing with like ESPN, that it's a bigger platform to continue to put out uh, what I think is what is going to make powerlifting much more mainstream, and that is the extreme version of it, which is the WPO and, and multiply powerlifting. Well, and I think what you know, you and I both saw on ESPN being part of that super final, or the, yeah, the super finals mm-hmm. in October was that it definitely added an extra level of intensity to the meet, an extra oh, yeah. level of oh, professionalism. Yeah. And it was like, wow. You know, this is the real thing. There are real, you know, mm-hmm. you know, there are real cameras, TV cameras. There's, there's three TV cameras. There's you the know, scissor pro- lift. There's... Right. There's production people running around. You know, there's there's the meat is being run in a very efficient manner. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're queuing the lifters when to go out. They're doing things via time. You enter on one side, you exit another side. You know, it was very professionally run and it added that extra element to it. And man, I mean, the production value of the video ESPN put out is amazing. Like nothing that I don't think has been done in powerlifting. Uh, I know the IPF has done some as well and had commentators and stuff mm-hmm. and been you know yep. high production value. Yep, US, I, USPA has done the same thing. I would argue the ESPN three WPO broadcast was better than those. Superior broadcast, <laughs> right? So <laughs> it was disappointing that ESPN was not there. Yep. Um, and when but, we but let, we're back for the finals. They will be, yeah. They're they're excited to be coming back to Chicago. Martucci, yep. I can't remember his first name. Uh, Matt. Yes. Matt Martucci did come and announce mm-hmm. the first day of the WPO. Yep. Um, he unfortunately was, you know, when this got canceled, then he was reassigned to another sporting event, which mm-hmm. is ironic because now he has probably no sporting events yeah, to go he, to. He ain't doing nothing. But he was there Thursday, and he and Brian Carroll mm-hmm. um, did kind of a two-man booth of announcing. Yep. And myself and Brian Carroll did the second day on Friday because Martucci had to, uh, you know, go to I think a college basketball game or something. Yeah. And you did a great job, sir. Well, thank you. 
I didn't hear a lot of compliments, but I also didn't hear too many complaints, so it must have been at least good enough that no one complained about it. Yes, yes. Sometimes that's all, all you need right, to yeah. me. Is yeah, like, at least anyone complain? It's no? like, yeah. it's like if, if you're not talking about the referees, it means they probably did their job. Yeah. And if you, you know, if you don't care complaints, then the announcer probably did at least his job. Yeah, correct, correct. So let's talk about um, the lifting. Yes, because people actually lift at the WPO. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about everything about it. Yeah. And, and I think we still, I, I don't even know if I have this on here, but we could talk about the, the actual meat itself, the running of the meat, the oh, logistics yeah. of it. Yep. Um, we talked about a little about that last week, but let's talk about the lifting because that's what it was about. Yeah. I think the thing I noticed the most, just generally speaking, Bane, was that there were, compared to your average multiply meat, compared to last year's WPO, mm-hmm. compared to many other high-level multiply meats I've been involved in, there were... Way less bomb outs than normal. Yeah, I think total of five between both days. Right. Like, it was very minimal. I, I, I found think that maybe, very interesting. Yeah, it was either four. I know there was only two on the men's day. I think it was three women. Was there three? I thought I maybe there was only two. Bumping. But, I mean, there was four or five. Yeah, I mean, which is very, to your point, with multiply, like, we even talked about it, like, as far as from a timing perspective. Like, yeah, we'll have five, six people bomb out by time. You know, well, I mean, them. we go back to, you weren't there, but in the 2018 uh, uh, WPO Super mm-hmm. Open Finals, um we went from two. Bum, 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 bum. We went from two big flights of men, two mm-hmm. big, like close to twenty flights of men. Jeepers! And the the squats took. I mean, one of the big squat flights took an hour and a half. It was unbelievable. We were down to one flight of deadlifts by the time we got to deadlifts. That's yes. half the men's lifters bombed. That's how many bombs we had. I mean, in that meet, which was bigger, it was basically like the two days of this WPO semis right. in one day and not run nearly as efficiently. No. Uh, I mean, I think we probably had, I would say, reasonably 25 to 30 bombs, Jeez. so an almost half compared to this one, which we had, you know, maybe a 10% bomb rate. Yep. You know, we had 50 lifters maybe, yep. and you only had five bomb. That's that's pretty good. That's solid. That's a solid, especially multiply. That's really, really good. And I noticed that two lifters locally, well, mm-hmm. ish locally, one of them is not super Chicago, but not terribly far away. I guess mm-hmm. Crystal's not Chicago either. Nah, she's Milwaukee. She's semi-close. Yeah, but they, they both train out of the Monster Garage. Yeah. So. Uh, two lifters, semi-local, that bombed in the superfinals, mm-hmm. made it through um, the semifinals. Crystal Tate and Sarah Effinger. Yep. Yeah, they both train at the Monster Garage. Mm-hmm. I believe Sarah lives maybe a little bit further away, so yeah, she only comes. north. She's... She lives like five, six hours away, so she's there like... Once a month or something. Right? Roughly, yeah. yeah. Sure. And both of them made it through. I mean, Sarah took third, so did really she well. She crushed. Like, she yeah. was amazing. And she bombed in the squat in yes. the super finals. Correct. And Krista, who bombed in the bench, came back and had a really nice bench day. Looks like she might have kind of re-injured her knee. Uh, uh, no, it was the good knee, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. It, so far, so good. Uh, she's actually supposed to get an MRI. I didn't ask her about it uh, when I saw her on Sunday. Um, but she's walking around. She's going to be back to training next week. So is the the plan. She looked like she might have tweaked something. Yeah. And because she, she did not get her third squad. And, Correct. Didn't um, even take, she was on, she was on her second, wasn't it? Oh, that's right. Yes. She did not take her third. Yep. And, you know, looked a little beat up on the deadlift, but still had a solid, strong day. Took fifth. Yep. Yep. Um, our lifter from 2XL, Jan. Jan. She had a really nice day. Um, she didn't place top 15, which was her goal. And yep. I think if you're going, that should be your, certainly she, your goal. 100% should be your goal. Um, unfortunately, I was calling her depth, and she got called on depth on her opening squat, which kind of threw things off. Mm-hmm. She still had a solid day, squatted 551, mm-hmm. benched 386, 385. World record. World record in the WPO, WPC. Yep. 
Um, she missed 402 just barely just, at the top. Yeah, just took it to the face. And pulled uh, a huge PR. 474 or whatever? 473, which was a huge PR for her. 45-pound PR. So she had a really nice day, had a PR total, PR bench, PR yeah. deadlift. You know, didn't have a PR squat, but still a really solid day. Yeah. I think even on her best day, she would have been right on the cusp of yeah. qualifying. Uh, but proud of the way she did. That speaks to the quality of, of the lifters that are there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if on your best day, you're barely in the top 15. But to your point, she did awesome. Handled herself well, just, just executed and did a great, great job. And one of the things that I take pride in and the lifters that I coach, to me, her form and technique is always very, very solid. She looks solid with the yep. weight. When she misses the weight, it's not because, you know, her technique is terrible. I mean, there's going to be some technical oh, errors here and there, but when you look at her when she stands up with the weight, you know, it's very solid. When she takes the bench, it looks solid. When she, you know, locks in on her deadlift, it looks solid. I'm not saying that's not true of most lifters there, but that's something I she, take pride she, in. She doesn't make my heart skip when she picks the, the weight up out of the rack. And there are some that do. There are definitely some that do. And she always looks very solid. And I would say that's, that's, a, yeah. that's a truism of many Team Stone lifters. I, I would agree with that. Um, Cosette Neely, I mean, who is, I don't know her age. She's older she's than 40s. four. I was, she's older than 40 and she's younger than 50. So yeah. she's not a spring chicken. I'm not, she's not old, but no. she's not a youngin. She's stud. And took first after, you know, at the first WPO had a very rough outing mm-hmm. because she had some trouble with the monolift and having a great height. Mm-hmm. From that time, she actually moved her and her husband, who also mm-hmm. lifted this, the next day. Yeah, he did. Uh, he, I did, can't, he did very well, too. He, he did well. I can't pronounce his name. It's Dayan. It's yeah. not Dylan. It's not Dan. Dan. It's Dayan. Dan. And they actually moved to Cincinnati, specifically to train at Laura Phelps's yep. and Shane Sweat's gym. And she took first and had an unbelievable day and took out Tara Weber, who had from Canada, who had won first at the Superfinals. Correct. Um, who also still had a great day. She did have a really nice day, yes. Um, Dave Hoff had, like, you know, I'm not going to say a bad day. For him, it was an off day. But he had a medium day. Yeah, for 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 Hoff, it was you're right, a medium and an off day. And I think he basically just hit his openers. Yep. Um, he skipped his second attempt on, I think, all three of his lifts? No, he, correct. And then he took 1019 on his third bench. Yeah. I'm not even, I don't think he even took another squat after his opener. Nope. He, did he take a third deadlift? Nope. I think he. Oh, he didn't? I think he might have. I, I'm going to check on that. I, did, I checked. I don't you know what he – I think you're right. I think he did take it. He didn't get it, though. Yes. Uh, I think he tried like 832 or something. Something like that, yeah. He did try a 1019 bench. That I remember because yep. that would have been a, a personal best for him. He missed that. It wasn't – I'm not going to say it wasn't close. It wasn't super close. But, it, I mean, he handled it. He didn't look as – like, I, I will say this. This was not the Hoff I'm used to. I actually talked to him for all of, you know, five seconds after his opening squat. And he said something about being out of shape. I said, oh, round is a shape. He's like, yeah, trust me, I know. And then, so I, I don't think he was as dialed in, but he didn't necessarily need to be. Yeah, I mean, the thought was he probably could have taken his openers and, like, his briefs and his, you know, yeah. training shirt and still placed top 15. And he still took first Yeah, on an off day. Um, Chris Delafave had an unbelievable day. Who, took, who bombed. Yeah, he bombed in the super finals. Yeah. I believe in the squat, correct? Correct. 
and he had a great day. Yeah, he did. And in his 870 deadlift, I mean, is one of the most impressive lifts Dude, of the meet, in my opinion. That's one of the most impressive lifts I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it like looks how simple. And it looks like, you know, after I don't know how much he squatted, um, I don't have the results in front of me. something, I think. Yeah. In the 1100s, after squatting 1100 and a big bench, yeah. then to come deadlift 870 and look like 900 would have been easily he's, in the conversation. He's there. Yeah. Right. If, if we if we had misloaded that to 900, I think you would have pulled it. Yeah. No, I don't think you're wrong. Um, in kind of one of the more emotional moments in oh a meet my God. that I've been a part of. Um, so I, you didn't know this, uh, Bane, but at, Dave Kirshen passed on his second deadlift. A lot of lifters passed on their second deadlift and just went to the third because yep. the meet was running quickly. Yep. As the first WPO did, or uh, the last WPO, not the first one, actually. Yeah. Uh, the last Super Finals. He came up to me and... You know, I've known Dave through meets for many years. We mm-hmm. kind of corresponded online and such. He's been a lead FTS-sponsored lifter for many years. Yep. And he came up to me and said, Eric, um, just so you know, this is going to be my last deadlift in a meet. I'm going to retire after this, a, yeah, after this deadlift. I said, I'm hoping to get it, but this is it. And he said, if you see me crying, if you wouldn't mind saying something to the crowd, this is going to be my last deadlift. And I acknowledge. I, I knew exactly what he was talking about right away, and yep. I said, "I've got it." And I, I kind of contemplated on how to handle that as the announcer. Do I say something before the deadlift? Mm-hmm. Do I announce it as he's deadlifting? And I ultimately decided just to get the crowd up for him, and to say something after his deadlift because yep. what I didn't want is I didn't want his emotion to overcome him. Yes. Before his deadlift. Now the crowd was into it even beforehand. You're welcome. <laughs> yes, uh, WPO hype man Robert Bain. That's right. But I didn't want that, you know, spilling of emotion of this being his last meet to overcome him before he pulled that last pull. Yeah. And so I didn't say that he was retiring until afterwards and got his last deadlift and was able to kind of... And a lifetime PR. Yeah, and was able to kind of retire there. He actually did qualify... Mm-hmm. for the finals. And by the way, he also had bombed. He was another one that bombed in yep. the Super Finals. Correct. Um, I think he might have made it through in 2018, but he had bombed definitely in Chicago. And, you know, I think he just said, you know, I'd like to spend more time with my family. Yeah. I'd like to, you know. How, how long has he been lifting? I would say minimally 15 years, probably closer to 20. Yeah, I... I... I posted that lift to my story, and then I actually ended up reposting it just with a little more context because I, I'm not going to lie. That is – I've watched so many people in this sport. I've only been doing this sport for, you know, six and a half years, right? My first meet was, was – literally it was six years ago Monday was my first meet. And the day I turned 32, I, I did it. Did it and, I, and I've gotten to know a lot of these different personalities, right? And generally speaking – and this is true of almost every sport – we don't get to write the ending. The ending gets written for us, and we don't know it. You know, people get hurt. They, yeah, most of the time it's due to injury, and you just, right. you just can't recover, and it's just time to call it. Yeah, you just, you, and sometimes it's, you know, at the end of the day, you've just aged out and you go, wow, that was my last meet. It's kind of like, you know, there will come a time when you pick up your child for the last time. Um, but Dave got to write his ending, and, I, and after you said that, that he was retiring, he took off his belt, he kissed it and laid it down, and then walked into the crowd. Dude. I, that it was all I could do to hold it together. Yeah, no, it was emotional for me as well. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was beautiful. And and Dave, if you ever hear this, man, just th- thank you for for sharing that moment with all of us because that was. And then, and then honestly, probably doing one of the bigger things I've ever seen in any sport because he 
he could have gone on to Chicago. And he said, nope, I'm calling it. And he hands his spot to, you know, the next guy down. I, I, this is, it was just beautiful. And then he, when you – because where you were was uh, Wayne calling the names up for the for – the It men's. was me. Yeah, because then he, you called him up. He, you said what was going on. He waved, and he just walked back. Yeah, and there was some discussion between myself and Wayne and Michael on yeah. kind of how, how to handle that because they wanted to call the top 15 lifters up. Yep. But at the same time, like – Dave had said he was going to retire, and that was it. And yeah. I said, well, he's qualified. He's the top 15, so how do we handle that? And, you know, I kind of argued, I think he should have one last moment. Even though he had that moment of the deadlift, yep. he, I mean, he was top 15. I think he was 14th. He, yeah, he earned it. And so I, th- I thought, I argued he should be called up, and then we should announce. Because he's retired, you know, he is handing off his spot to the next person, which yep. was Adam Zuvchek, yep. a guy I know from Michigan, mm-hmm. who literally lost the 15th spot by by just over a point, one coefficient point. That's... And the 15th place guy who whose name escapes me right now, um, and I didn't write down, but he, his, I don't know who's calling his numbers, and I don't think it was happenstance, but whoever's calling his numbers, man, really knew what they were doing because... Knew, knew the maths. They knew the math because literally his deadlift put him ahead of Adam... Joseph Lindsay. Joseph Lindsay, yes, who I've seen lift a couple times. Yeah, he's uh, stud. I liked him. Yeah, he lifted at a... Um, APF Indiana meet that I helped at uh, last year. Mm-hmm. And whoever's calling his numbers, kudos to you because that, because Zuchek was already done. He'd already pulled his last deadlift. Lindsay came up and pulled a solid deadlift, not necessarily yep. a max effort deadlift. Like basically, he pulled enough to put him in 15th place. Exactly what he needed. Literally by a point. That's how close it was. Wow. Um, and then Adam was then, because he only lost by a point, he was mm-hmm. in 16th place. He was bumped up to be able to compete in the finals. Yep. And uh, uh, he's actually messaged me, and I don't know if I should share this or not, but oh well. Um, he's thought about possibly lifting in both the WPC Worlds and the WPO that during that uh, five-day period in October. All right, then. So wow. he, is a, he is a defending WPC World Champion. He gotcha. went to Finland last year wow. and won um, in the 165 multiply, and I think he'd like to defend that, even though... You know, I think because he qualified, I don't think he thought he was going to qualify. Yeah. But because gotcha. he ended up qualifying because uh, Dave Kirshen retired, you know, I think he doesn't want to give up that spot. But at the same time, maybe he doesn't want to give up his, you know, defending WPC World Champion title. So yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying he's going to do that, but I think he's at least considering it, which is sure kind of crazy. Um, yeah. But hey, we saw a local guy, Matt Manuth, lift in the XPC a couple of years ago in consecutive days. Yeah, he won, or did he get second in the bench off? Well, he didn't. Well, that was a different time. The okay. one I'm talking about, he did the full power two days in a row, full power equipped. He won the, oh, the lightweights yeah, the yeah. first I do day. That now, yes. Reweighed yes. in the heavyweight class and lost to Brian Carroll by like a last deadlift. That's and so like he took second the second day of competing multiply. Also, didn't he take the all time 242 with a blown bicep? But he just wrapped it up at the first WPO finals. Um. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. that's a video that's you've been floating around. And fortunately, Matt Manuth was not at this WPO. Yeah, that sucked, man. I really wanted to see him because um, he 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 bombed it. Super finals. He did. Um, and I think he's kind of recovering. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he pulled his deadlift and won the first WPO, mm-hmm. the new Reed WPO. Yes. In 2018. So yeah, that's any other thoughts on any of the lifting? Those are kind of the highlights that stuck out to me. Any other lifters' performances that stuck out to you? Uh, I always forget her name, but she's from Hawaii. Um, Stacia Almahone. Thank, thank you. I love watching her lift because she just has fun. 
She just has a blast on the platform. She's an incredible athlete. Uh, if oh, my you, gosh. She lifts with her husband at uh, CrossFit 50, and 50 Barbell. barbell yep. They're out of Hawaii. Yep. They're a great follow on Instagram. Yes, they are. I um, enjoy them a lot. Their, their gym is basically like in their backyard. Yep. And they lift outside. Most of the time, she lifts barefoot. Yeah. She's competed in Olympic lifting. She's competed raw. Gymnastics. Right. Like, she's a phenomenal she athlete. She competes in multiply. I mean, as far as just like overall like top-level strength athletes, I don't know if there's anybody else who could top her. Is, I mean, again... as dynamic as she right, is. Right, Olympic yeah. lifting, raw, multiply. I don't know that she's done single-ply. She certainly could if she wanted to. Yeah. Um, but, man, yeah, she she is. She's she's exciting to watch. Yes. She's got impeccable technique on all her lifts. Oh, my gosh. Great leverages. Yep. No, I, I and, really... And, and great sparkly hair. Yeah, and a phenomenal sparkly belt. <laughs> right, exactly. Them, <laughs> uh, so, no, her, James Vang, uh, he came in, and actually, now that I follow him on Instagram, he has a chip on his shoulder. I like it a lot. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. I've got him in the notes yeah. kind of talking about so, how they set up the flights and how that yeah. manifests itself with someone like him. And so him, and then, uh, obviously, you know, watching Hoff, awesome. Uh, as everyone knows, when Crystal Tate walks to the platform, I get very excited. Uh, obviously, Jen, my powerlifting wife, didn't watch her. Uh, and Bob, Bob Merck was Bob another Merck. guy. Bob Merck, man. I love him. Just love watching him squat. Yeah. Giant beard and a giant squat. Yeah, and that huge, you know, the septum ring and everything. And uh, I actually, as of right now, I am supposed to be traveling to Philadelphia at the end of the month and on a Friday. And I actually booked two extra days in Philly because he is 15 minutes from Philadelphia. And I'm supposed okay. to train with Bob. Uh, yeah. yeah, he's got a basement gym, correct? Yes, correct. So... Uh, his gym ain't closing exactly no, so I, maybe I, the airways are closing he but. he and i had talked about you know connecting at some point because we something he posted something about being in orlando and i uh, told him a place to go and then i said hey i'm actually going to be out in uh in philly and he said i'm 15 minutes from there you know come through we'll train together i said oh my god i'm going to train with you know one of these guys who i've you know looked up to in the sport for a couple of years like how, how dope is that so uh yeah so those are just some of the people that uh that i really really enjoyed i i I would be remiss if I didn't say anything about this. So, Laura Phelps, I oh, did I, you get did you get to talk to her? I did. Okay. And so, so Laura, for, if you ever listen to this, um, there's a number of people on Team Stone Two XL that have a crush on you. <laughs> it's not even that. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, Laura is she's a phenomenal lifter. She's beautiful. She's awesome. Incredibly intelligent. I just fanboyed out the first time I met her, and <laughs> I couldn't actually speak. I, I don't know why. I just I couldn't do it. So did you talk to her this time? I finally did. She said some very nice things to me, and as many other people did during the meet. Uh, and then actually we chatted on Instagram in DMs because she posted something about watching Shit's Creek. My wife and I are big Shit's Creek fans, and so we were trading Shit's Creek memes uh, back and forth. And I'm like, oh my god, I'm like having a friendly conversation with Laura Phelps. Holy shit! So another. Another person on Team Stone, Dixie Salerno, also mm-hmm. has like a woman crush on <laughs> Laura Phelps. And I know Laura very well. I mm-hmm. mean, we talked about it before. Her first powerlifting meet was the Summer Bash in 2005. Yeah. So yep. the second Summer Bash was her first meet. That's just crazy. And so we've known each other for a very long time. And when she decided to switch her meets to APF, mm-hmm. she'd been running her meets SPF and maybe some other federation. But mm-hmm. she decided to switch to APF as part of kind of the move to you know, reintroduce the WPO because yep. she hadn't known that was kind of coming back down the pike. She reached out to me and asked if I would come out and, you know, help judge your meets. And yeah. for the last 
two, three years, myself, my partner, Howard, and my brother, Ken Stone, have been, you know, when available, going out and help with her meets. Yep. Um, and so I was just kind of chatting with her because she was helping a lifter who happened to actually be shorter than her. Wow. Which was, I said, wow, somebody that you're actually taller than Laura. Yeah. And so we were just kind of talking about the plans for Worlds and the WPO in mm -hmm. Chicago. And like standing there was, uh, I believe, Georgie, mm -hmm. Jen, and Dixie. And Dixie like loves Laura and mm -hmm. said, same thing as you. Like she like wants to talk to her, yeah. but like is too afraid to. And I've so i like, in the same room with this woman like half a dozen times. And I'm like inching Laura kind of towards Dixie. <laughs> And I think that Jen or I eventually was going to like butt in and be like, oh, hey, Laura, this is our teammate Dixie. Yeah. Because I think Laura knew Jen from mm -hmm. past meets. Um, Georgie doesn't have as much of a crush on Laura. Fair. So finally, Dixie just kind of said like, hi, Laura, I'm Dixie. <laughs> <laughs> and didn't say much else. Would but... have been a lot funnier if said, hi, Dixie, I'm Laura. <laughs> I've done that before. Nice. nice. Uh, I didn't say I was Dixie, to be fair. fair. I didn't say I was Laura either. But, um, but yeah, so I, I did get to talk to Laura, which was really dope. And I... Yeah, I'm pretty sure I blushed when she said that I was doing a nice job. She actually said that I was her favorite spotter. I'm like, oh, my God, I don't know what to say right now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I think that's what I said. So, yeah. So, so speaking anyway. of spotting, loading, and the running of the meat, um, mm -hmm. I didn't have much on this in here, but I think uh, we can pat ourselves on the back a little bit. Um, you yeah. know, it's not just us, obviously. No. And it's, you know, it's Wayne. It's Michael Fahey. Mm -hmm. um, it's Amy Jackson. She's an unsung hero. Like she does so much stuff. Yeah, I don't think most people know how much Amy Jackson does for the APF. And one of the reasons why the WPO in October and this WPO ran so well is because we had Amy Jackson running the computer. Yep. And she is kind of, you know, the engine that keeps things going. Yeah, she is just she is amazing. Uh, I, I I always love seeing Amy. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people that go into the production of this thing. You've got from you know to your point, mm -hmm. Wayne. Michael, uh, the judging. I mean, obviously, there's a, you know, a rotation of judges that are going on. So you, Ken Stone. Um, I don't, don't know who the... Yeah, the other was. two are the McDaniels, Mike Got McDaniels, Beverly you. McDaniels. They've been longtime APF judge, judges. Uh, Mike, at one time, was the vice president and head of referees okay. for the APF, a position which Wayne Pullum has now taken. Okay. Um, due to some health issues between the two of them, he decided to step down from being on the yeah. board, but you know, still stays involved with judging in Texas. And I think they've once again got into a health perspective where they feel like they can travel to meets. Cool. And so came up to this WPO. But, yeah, I mean, I yeah, think as far awesome. as the running of the meet, I think once again um, it maybe didn't run quite as quickly and efficiently as the Super Finals with ESPN there, but we also didn't have to. But we still right. got it done in, for multiply lifting. Five and a half hours. Like. Yeah, I mean, both days were run fairly efficiently. And I think the comments I got from lifters, they liked that. They liked the quicker mm -hmm. pace. It makes it, again, we talked about this in our – original WPO recap from the fall. Yeah. Uh, how I think the lifters like the quicker pace, even though it's hard to get used to. Mm -hmm. I think they like because it, it adds that extra layer of, you know, competitiveness and makes it more of a true sporting event instead of just, hey, you know, it's easy for anybody just to go to their own gym and with their own spotters and their yeah. own music at their own time frame, max out. There's a difference between maxing out and lifting in a competitive meet. Yeah, and and I think it it just it, it's also I, I would say too they like it because it's it, it is easier to keep that energy for five to six hours versus a thirteen hour meet. I mean, the first re WPO was oh it was it was it was enough to continue going, but as far as the running of the meet went, I mm -hmm. mean, it ran from I don't think we started on time, which is part of it. we didn't start until ten thirty, and yep. it went until about ten thirty. So we're talking a a 12-hour meet. Now, it yeah. was also a four-flight meet. So even if we had run it super efficiently, 
Um, it would have been difficult to get it done in a reasonable amount of time. That's right. why instead of doing, I mean, if you combine these two days, even as efficiently as you can ran them. It's still going to be 10 hours. Right. It's still going to be 10 hours. That's yep. quicker than 12. It is. And we started on time both days. Yep. But uh, a 10-hour a day is long. It is. And it's hard for the spotters and the judges <laughs> and the staff to keep that kind of energy. So, you know, splitting into two days, I think, was wise. Yep. On Wayne and, and Michael's part. And that brings up my next kind of interesting point is how, and this was how they wanted it, but the two-flight system mm-hmm. in that the way they split up the flights was that they basically took the highest coefficient 15, you know, qualifying totals mm-hmm. and put them in the first flight and the lower 15 qualifying totals and put them in the second flight. Right. Which was an interesting setup in that I think the thought process was this. Was that if you, you know, the top 15 guys, um, and it actually ended up being 15, it was more like 12, 13, because right. we didn't quite have 30 that right. showed some, up. Some folks weren't able to show or didn't show or whatever. So I think the thought process was well, let's have the top 10 or 12 that probably will qualify in the first flight, and then the rest, 10 or 12 can or 13, fight for... can fight out the remaining 13 spots. Yep. From a competitive standpoint, though, what happened was that some lifters bumped themselves all the way up. Yeah. Because now, and I don't know that this would have changed anything had some of the first flight lifters known what the second flight lifters did, mm-hmm. but they had the the advantage of knowing where they where the standard was. Mm-hmm. And so you had a guy like you talked about, like James Vane yeah. from Minnesota, who I think uh, his training partner said this was his first true multiply meet. He had yeah. qualified lifting single, single ply. Yeah. Yeah, he qualified in an APF meet single ply, and so he jumped all the way from the bottom half mm-hmm. of the gloss banner to seventh place. Because the gear did all the work for him, obviously. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> and I don't know, what do you think about that, Bane? I mean, from some perspective, you know, I, 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 they did this at the superfinals where they did the men first, then the women. So he did yep. the heavier lifters first when the spotters are fresh. Yep. I think it was that idea, but if you're kind of that bottom tier of the top tier lifters. So if it was split 15-15 or let's say 12-12, whatever it is, mm-hmm. if you're in the bottom end and you know you get bumped out by just a couple points, you didn't have the opportunity to change the mm-hmm. way that you might have approached some of those last attempts because the people that are competing against you, they already know what you did. Yeah. And I think that's... So I, I looked at it kind of like, you know, it my preference would be similar to golf, right? So if you're, you know, on the first day of, a, of any golf tournament, you know, the top C guys are the ones who are going to, you know, tee off last. And then, ah, as, okay. and then as the, you know, event goes on, then very similar to whatever place you're in, you're going to be paired with, you know, one, two, three, four, you know, whatever, and you're going to be later in the day. So that, you know, thinking from a TV perspective, you know, at 6 o'clock when it's time to, you know, show Tiger, you know, pumping his fist and sinking that putt, he's the only guy left on the course. Sure. So everything's geared towards that. And so I, I, I think that if it was my choice, I would go with uh, the quote-unquote higher-seated guys uh, later later in the day. Because right. that's – I get what they're saying is, hey, you want spotters fresh, all that kind of thing. Sure. Totally get that. And, and that's why they put the men first and, in the superfinals so that you had the bigger lifters first. They also the other element is if you have the bigger lifters first, they also usually require more warm up time, which is another reason they did them first right. in October. And I think that was part of it. A guy like Hoff, who's Hoff and Merck and Delafave, who are squatting eleven twelve hundred, 
it's gonna take a while to get there. Like right, they need like two hours to warm up their squats, and if all you have is the previous flight's time, mm-hmm. that may not be enough time for them. So I think that was the thought process, and then again, the thought process was well, let's let the remaining lifters fight out the final two, three, four, five spots. But and what happened was some of the people who were from that first flight, the top twelve, like. Um, a lifter from the night crew, mm-hmm. lighter weight guy. Can't think of his name off the top of my head. Um, not not Oliveria. He's the only one. Not Oliveria. Uh, gosh, it'll come to me later. But who squatted big at the at, at APF Nationals last year and had the blown? Oh out, yeah, yeah, I had, know who you're talking about. Had the blown out canvas squat suits. Oh crap! Who was that? His name will come to us later. It will. But, and I know he didn't have a great day, so it might not have mattered, but I know he was bumped out of that top 15 right. by a number of lifters from that second flight. And maybe he, would have, maybe he wouldn't have changed anything. But like you said, there's some logic to having the higher-tiered lifters go later so that they know what the standard is. And you know, I know if I want 15th place, all I have to do is pull X on my left deadlift. Yeah, and so I think that's, you know, I see merit to that. But on the flip side, you know, as, as we're talking through this, I also see it as then kind of be like Hoff and just make sure. Like his, his lifts are big enough. He knows if he takes his openers, sure. he's going to be top 15. And that's five. also assuming, I mean, we talked about James Lindsay. Maybe that was happenstance. I yeah. want to, in my mind, I want to believe that somebody was was crunching all these numbers and added their abacus out and they right. knew exactly what he needed to pull to beat Adam Zubchek by one point. Because there is some complicated math going into, oh yeah, for a class you know, okay, not only what are they going to pull, but what have, what what are they projected to pull? What am I projected to pull? Mm-hmm. What is the coefficient of that? What's their coefficient of that? One of the things I'd like to see us do, uh, the WPO, is you know have a projected because once you hit a deadlift, it's got a it's got your total, it's got your gloss printer yep. in the program. All the data is there. It's just a matter of adding an extra. A column to have projected gloss printer yeah, so in if, the deadlift. So if then the, you the if they end statement. Then you can see okay if they hit that deadlift, here's what their gloss printer is going to be. I think that would add to the ability for people to change attempts and have a little bit more mm-hmm. strategy. If you didn't know, on the deadlift you have one change on your second deadlift and you have two changes on your third deadlift. We really didn't have many changes of deadlifts, which is interesting. I, I anticipate seeing that more of the superfinals. It's just the level of math and projection that's required is pretty difficult with with gloss better. And I think sometimes lifters, it's just it's almost too much for them to calculate, and they just but go if, for but the if numbers. You have a coach who's got a tablet, and they've done that. They've yeah, added an extra no, column. They do tear I, it out. And I think, I, I think, and I think James Lindsay's coach, I, I, at least in my mind, I'd like if he did that. <laughs> it, but somebody could be doing that math because, hey, you know, if he would have pulled five kilos less. He might have been below, but yeah. he pulled, it looked like, just enough for what he needed. Yeah. So, and anything else on that? Anything else on the lifting or the running of the meet? Uh, you know, I, I, I do want to say to Joey Johnson, uh, John Campion, Tr- uh, Buffalo Trace, uh, Georgie Not on the Gram, it, always, always awesome being up there with you guys. Uh, we missed, Dix, uh, Dixie we as missed, well. This is Detman. Yeah. Uh, we did miss Detman. Uh, Dixie ran the rack yep. on uh, on Saturday. Yep, and, but we we got so many nice things that were said about us, and and I just I want to make sure that those guys get a lot of uh, you know spotlight because generally speaking, because I yell a lot, people remember that. 
and so it was a lot of it. A lot of the nice things were said towards me. But I'll tell you, those guys are awesome. They are amazing, uh, especially Thursday when it was just the four of us. You know, Joey was running heights in the rack. I was back spotting, and John and Trace were uh, on each side. And you know, we ran a pretty darn efficient, uh, you know, Thursday uh, with with all those big numbers. You know, we had a couple, I think, two, three girls that squatted over seven hundred. So uh, those guys just did an awesome job, and I and I really just love being up there with them. Uh, I mean it when I say it. You know, when I put the hashtag out there, you know, best spotters alive. Yeah, you guys did an excellent job. So, definitely love, love being with those guys and. Um, yeah, it's, it's such a cool thing to be a part of that, you know, we get to expose the sport to so many people. So very, very excited for the Super Finals. But let's talk about should we be around the Arnold anymore? Yeah, here's the here's the, the rub. What, you might have said, like, why be at the Arnold? Yeah. I think the positive is that being at such a big expo like that, you are exposed to more people in general. Yeah. And theoretically, because you're going to be exposed to more people, you maybe have the opportunity to attract bigger sponsors. And that's really mm-hmm. where... If Wayne Pullum, if Michael Fahey wants the WPO to continue, at the end of the day, if they want it to be a true professional organization, it's not going to come from entry fees from lifters like no. my meets. No. It's got to come from sponsors because if you want a true competitive meet, it's got to be like they run it. It's got to be a maximum of about 30 lifters in a meet. Yeah. If you have any more than that, it just takes too long and it's too many lifters. You're not going to hold people's attention for 10 hours. It's not going to happen. Right. So I think what they're doing from a... You know, production and running of the meat standpoint is very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the advantage, again, is that, you know, you get those eyeballs on it. Um, and you might have other people that, you know, are involved with running a booth at the honor that might say, hey, I want to come out and be a sponsor mm-hmm. of the WPO. Yep. So that's the exposure element of it. I mean, the XPC has an excellent location. Yeah. We talked about how years ago they were basically like off-site um, in you know another building from yeah, you where had the to, like, ex- dedicate time and effort to get over there. It was not in the same building as the expo. Yep. Um, and again, they started off just run, like literally running a meet mm-hmm. on the same weekend as the Arnold, right? So that people who might be coming to Columbus could come to the XPC as well, right? And uh, their location now is literally across the hallway from the expo. So it's an ex- the, the main entrance to the expo, like the yeah. first one you get to. Yeah, it's an excellent location. I don't think you could. I don't think you could have a better location unless it was literally in the expo hall. And I'm not even sure that would be better because it's harder to get to. Yeah, I mean, unless you're on the rogue stage, so we're up above and kind of sequestered off. But yeah, I agree. Awesome location. Had the expo been going on, easily the runoff of people. There would have been five, six hundred people watching. Oh, that I meet. mean, it, yeah, it would have been packed in there, yeah. and that's about how it was back with the old WPO because it was. And, and there was still like two, three hundred people on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, there was a lot. Um, you know, but what's the negatives? I mean, the first one is just the logistics. Oh um, my god! And you know, parking and it's not bad getting to Columbus. I mean, I guess from Chicago we're just driving. It may be harder to get to Columbus. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. We flew. Yeah. Well, I drove. Yeah. Most people drove. Um, it's maybe not the easiest location, but not bad to get into Columbus City. No, it's I actually think Columbus is a pretty nice city, generally. Yeah, you know, it's pretty clean. We had a good time. Um, you know, there's the parking issue. It's going to have any expo. Mm-hmm. The logistics of getting your equipment into that area, which we didn't do. That was all Lexan and, yep. and Danny Dague and XPC. But there, there's definitely some challenges there. Yeah. Um, you know, not having the ability to have ESPN there is huge. And I don't know if in future years if that could be worked out. Um, you know, maybe if they had gotten to that issue sooner, they could have said, okay, well, if ESPN is an important part of your 
event, mm -hmm. let's move the XPC WPO room to somewhere that's closer to the loading dock. Right. And, you know, has the ability to... Park the truck in there, run the wires out. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it was nice, I think, from Wayne's perspective, because, again, he didn't have to bring equipment. The only thing he had to do was provide the staff, mm -hmm. and the sponsors provided the, the kilo plates. So it was nice, the fact that, hey, we, you know, we who helped literally move the equipment for the one in October, yeah. hey, you showed up, and Danny has a nice setup. I mean, lights... Yep. Um, banners, scaffolding, uh, scaffolding um, you know, not as big of a, certainly not as big of a space we had in October. That's, that's unique to be fair. Yeah. I mean, the mega and center then, was and mega then, and it's gone. Yeah. The mega center's closed. If you yeah. didn't, if you hadn't heard the pheasant run, we're not going back there for October because nope. pheasant run has officially gone out of business. And, they, and I'll have to say, if they hadn't gone out of business before this, uh, you know, Corona, <laughs> Corona recession, they most definitely would have, they would have definitely gone out of business out of this yeah. probably upcoming recession yeah um so it was nice having all those equipment issues dealt with mm -hmm. um i would say that and again bane and i probably don't want to go into too much of private details but there was definitely some we'll say professional tension between having two meet directors and one of and one venue um oh, because yeah. you know certainly danny's used to running his event as he runs it and yep. now it's saying okay well we're going to run our event in the same space, and we're going to do things slightly differently. Mm -hmm. There's some tension there. I'm not going to say that it was all bad. It no, was. I would say we're seeing different, not better, not worse. We're seeing yeah, different. yeah, different. I mean, the X, the XPC and WPO are set up to be different. I mean, the yeah. XPC is set up to be a more to have more participation. Yep. The WPO is set up to have, you know, more competition. Right. And so there was definitely, I'd say, some tension there, um, and it is difficult it is difficult for two head honchos to have detente together yep. i would say that wayne and i worked about as well as two you know directors or heads of things could work together mm -hmm. um and there were still issues i'm not saying we had like huge disagreements or anything but there's for my part being such a detail-oriented person there's a lot of clarification a lot of oh reiterating things okay is this what you're doing is this how we're going to structure things and it's it to be fair to wayne you also had the third party of espn in october yep. which added an extra air uh layer of challenge mm -hmm. um i'm not actually sure that espn being at the way we had that meet set up was would have worked real well because first of all there would have been a really lack of space the way that oh, they had yeah. it set up been horrible it would have been very difficult um and michael fahey's um Westside Film Crew mm -hmm. was there um, filming for a new powerlifting documentary. New powerlifting documentary. Definitely a new powerlifting documentary, probably based around the resurgence of the WPO. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I, I, I'm not sure if, I mean, they might have changed some things, but it would have been challenging logistically yeah, to have two, the same type two of film set. crews, two sets of everything, basically. I mean, it, we had. And we had more space than we could have ever needed in October. Yeah, and there was there was an adequate space. I mean, it was a it was a good sized room. Mm -hmm. There was adequate warm up area, but it was full to, to run a meet. Right. If we had, I, I think we would have lost production value compared to what we had in October. It would have been challenging for yeah. ESPN to run things the way that they did oh, because yeah. they had a lot of space. A lot like the platform area was easily quadruple what we yeah. had at the XPC. Correct. I mean, easily, if not five times. At least. At least I mean, there was times. a ton of space around the platform. Mm -hmm. and, and to be fair to Danny, I don't 
I'm not, I'm not criticizing his setup. He had an excellent setup. It's no, fair, we, I mean, we worked with what we had. Way better than 90% of meets as far as production value of mm-hmm. the setup. You know, very cool. You know, kind of puts the lifter on a stage. But, but there is a difference in a powerlifting meet being run and then a ESPM production. There, just, there is a difference. Yeah, and we realized that right away at, mm-hmm. in October, how it was way, way, way different. Yep. Um, so there's positives and there's negatives to being a part of the Arnold Classic. And uh, moving forward, is it advantageous for the WPO to attach themselves as part of the Arnold and as part of another powerlifting meets setup? Yeah, and I think this it's tough because, you know, this this is a unique year, right? If the Arnold Expo had gone on... One week later, it right. would have been canceled 100% completely. I yeah. can guarantee you that. But if, but it, let's say if it had gone on. And like none, like, the, like COVID-19 was left in 19, right? Say all that happens. So now we have the Expo. We've got... And let's say ESPN doesn't come. Let's say they do come. You know... We would be basing our judgments off a whole different set of circumstances. Let's say ESPN doesn't come, but we still have the the expo. So now we're going to say, hey, we had all these people. You know, maybe there's different conversations going on about sponsorship and you know, obviously monetizing this uh, in, a, in a different way. I, I don't think we have the right sample set to say yay or nay to the Arnold. To your point, there's positives and negatives. There definitely are, and this is a unique set of circumstances this year. Now, will it be unique enough that it changes everything? Yeah, possibly. I mean, it's probably played to our advantage in some ways, not having as many people there. Now, you lose that exposure. You lose yeah. that. I think the crowd. We also widened our margin of error. Yeah. I mean, you lost the crowd, but, I mean, you'd probably. The hype was still there. You probably wanted the crowd if ESPN was there. But if oh, you'd yeah. had a huge crowd, it would have been probably even harder mm-hmm. for the production value of filming it. Oh, yeah, because there's so many moving things. I don't even parse. There's just so much movement. And One of the things that uh, I forget who I was talking with, but somebody that they noted that how well they controlled the platform at mm-hmm. the WPO Superfinals in October, mm-hmm. um, and it kept people out from you know coming out on the platform and watching yep. because there was you know literally cameramen coming in and out. There was a way you entered the platform. There was a way you exited the platform. Which generally we had again, which was nice. Yes. Generally. But it wasn't quite as controlled as October because again and I'm not saying it got out of control it was still fairly good for a powerlifting meet Mm -hmm. but it was definitely not the same level of flow and control as October and and I will tell you because I did spot and load on Saturday the XPC meet there was a huge difference in the flow of people from the back to the front uh, there and again not bad but for instance you know when you had Julius Maddox and Thomas Davis taking their 700 plus pound benches I mean there were 100 people crowded around that platform. And that's not a big area around that platform. No. I mean, it could, plus you had Larry Wheels was, was lifting that meet. Oh you had Eddie Hall, Eddie Hall popped over and was, like, filming behind the judges. Mark, sure. Mark Bell was there. So, I mean, you, you had all these people. There were just a lot on the platform. Yeah, and that's one thing that we didn't allow at the WPO in October. Correct. And we, we, well, we did have Arnold there. Yeah, I mean, we limited it uh, this year at the semifinals. It mm-hmm. wasn't as strict because it didn't need to be. Right. Um, but it wasn't like, you know, it was maybe training partners that came out and watched their lifter. It wasn't, you know, like when Julius Maddox bench 770, it was probably literally everybody's out. Oh, yeah. Crowding around the platform. Yep. It's, it was, I mean, you, you watched the video on, it was on Sports Center, by the way. Uh, you know, th- there's just people everywhere. It's crazy. So, and, and to be fair, let's be fully transparent. Bane and I have no say in what goes on 
with where the WPOs run. If my opinion is asked, which it may or may not be, um, I mean, I would give it. But at the end of the day, we are not part of the administration of the WPO. We are helpers at most. I'm just there to yell and make sure people don't die. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm there to maybe, you know, organize some logistics and some staff yep. and equipment when it's here. But, you know, it's, it's all on Wayne and Michael and the others in the WPO that will decide on that. We're just... We're just freestyling, talking about it. Yep, we're, we're worker bees. That's it. But they, but they do a great job. They really do. You look at the overall production of the superfinals and the semifinals, especially with very unique circumstances surrounding the semifinals. It was awesome. Yeah, you know, when we talked last week about how there was the craziness surrounding, um, you know, the cancellation or not cancellation or spectators or no spectators, which in the context of what we've gone through in the last week almost seems normal yeah. compared to what's happened in the last week yeah. in our country. Um, looking back at the time, it seemed unprecedented, and in some ways, it was. It, yes. Ironically, what's happened in the last seven to ten days has been exponentially more unprecedented. Yeah, we definitely the most memorable birthday I've had in a while. No doubt. Huh? <laughs> no doubt. Anything else, Bain, to, to touch on on the WPO semifinals? Uh, I just I can't wait to October, man. Yeah, I I, I love being on the platform for this not not just because i mean selfishly i i volunteered like right away when uh you told us it was coming to chicago because i wanted the best seat in the house and and, like if i could spot and load i will get to watch these people up front and personal and now like just being able to be a small part of you know what i feel is a historic rise of powerlifting in general but also multiply i i just love this man i cannot wait till october yeah, I'm excited. Um, I think the WPO will be great. You guys are going to have some great lifting. It'll be great. It'll be amazing. <laughs> and we're going to have the WP, WPC Worlds the four days prior. Yep. Um, let's hope by that point that international travel is a little bit more free-flowing. Yeah. Um, could, could be affecting our worlds. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it definitely could. But let's let, – I mean, we're, we're kind of in the midst of it right now. We have no perspective. So yep. let's just hope that by October we're, you know – I don't know if normal is the word, but we're, you know, closer to normal. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm excited about it as well. I mean, I, it was a great meet, um, you know, considering again, all the circumstances mm-hmm. and considering in the grand scheme, this was really only the third WPO event in the new WPO. Yeah. And I don't think it was quite the level of the super finals, but it doesn't necessarily intended to be, it was meant no. to be the semifinals. It meant to be the qualifiers. That's how you punch your ticket, baby. Right. And as far as that went, it went excellently and very impressed with the you know and we talked about this beginning i think i was i liked the way the way the meat ran Mm -hmm. but i was probably the most impressed by the lifting and i think what happened after the super final is that lifters adjusted the way that they trained they adjusted the way they took attempts they adjusted the speed of the way they were able to take you know, there was take a focus on GPP from almost every lifter. I heard almost every one of them talking about that. And, man, they took great attempt selection. Oh, my god. They gosh. adjusted to what I would argue was, you know, more strict judging than in some multiply mm-hmm. meets. Not yeah. overly strict, not USAPL judging, but, no, but you know. No, but consistent and very strict judging. Right. You know, more, you know, they adjusted the way that they took their squat depth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was very impressed with the the level and the competency of the lifting at this event. It was 100%. I would say, having been around multiply lifting for as long as I've been in powerlifting, this was one of the most technically sound multiply meets I've been to. Yeah, I think when, when you know, more and more videos of this meet come out, like, I don't know if they're going to do like an ESPN style where the whole meet will be. Probably uh, not, because yeah. I don't think they filmed it in that way. Right. So, 
the the you're right. The technicality of these lifters was just I mean top notch. Yeah. It was amazing. Yep. Anything else to add, Bane? That's all I got, man. Well, I would just say, folks, I hope that we were able to perhaps entertain you for 90 or so minutes yep. and maybe take your mind a little bit off of what is an unprecedented time um, in our country and our world. Yeah, this is a uh, this is a world changer type of event. Um, Something we'll be talking about when we're old and gray, Bane. Yeah, well, I'm already getting gray, so older and grayer. Yeah, yeah, and already old too. But anyway, yeah, it's it's. How old did you turn uh, a couple of days ago? Thirty eight, man. Oh, Two years man, from masters. Bane. Well, we could round it up to forty if you want. Nah, we're good. We're good. So you've got a couple more years of submaster records, and then you can really hit the ground running. Yeah, and go for those those masters records. Oh, well, Unfortunately, the problem is the masters one records are typically. Still pretty high because I would say in powerlifting, having been around for a while, most lifters, like Dave Kirshen retired, mm-hmm. I think, at 46, 47. Mm-hmm. Many lifters can really hit their peak numbers-wise in their 40s. You know, I don't know if you can do it all the way to your 50s, um, but a lot of lifters, you know, Fred Hatfield, yeah. um, Donnie Thompson did it when he was, what, 50? Oh, I don't even know. Uh, he was definitely older. Maybe he was still in his 40s. I think, he was, I think he's in his 40s. Yeah. Yeah. He's like 50. Like Fred Hatfield, um, you know, Donnie was at an older age. A lot of lifters did their top numbers because it takes so long to build strength. It takes a yep. long time, and you can still hit big numbers into your 40s. When, I think when you start to hit your 50s, you know, often your recovery becomes an issue, and it becomes challenging to continue mm-hmm. hitting big numbers. Although my coach, Ernie Franz, squatted 826 at 63. That's just mind-blowing to me but so um you know you're not that old yet bane nah, whatever I feel it sometimes definitely feel it after those stupid rack pulls <laughs> thanks thanks at heartbreak kid yeah, asshole so, uh so yeah that's all i got okay with that this is eric stone signing out strength and anger <laughs>